Thank you, Eric. Good evening, everyone. I'm Jonathan Lasco. I'm the Associate Director of Missions and Outreach here at Bethany. Welcome to, welcome to those of you who are here in person, those of you who are watching online, and from a variety of Bethany um, locations, and those of you who are visiting. We're glad you're here. And I'm grateful for this opportunity to be sharing with you uh, for this Ash Wednesday service. Like some of you, I grew up in the church, but Ash Wednesday and Lent wasn't a tradition I was familiar with, and so it's only until I started working here at Bethany that I began to engage more deeply with the the meaning and significance of these traditions. And so I've understood Lent as the season of preparation, the season in which we prepare to journey, journey with Jesus through his death and in preparation for his resurrection. And so if Lent is a season of preparation, then it assumes in some way we aren't prepared. And, and so what does that actually mean? As I think about this theme of not being prepared, I'm reminded of when I was a student at UW, and I was um, signing up to, be, uh, to go abroad to Brazil. I spoke Spanish, and in Brazil they speak Portuguese, and so I figured that the transition wouldn't be too hard. So I, um, you know, take a few months to prepare. I read a book, I watched YouTube, I listened to Spotify, like on Brazilian music, and I was feeling good. I was like, I got this. And eventually, when it was time to go to Brazil, I was in line, um, ready to uh, board the plane. And in front of me were two women who sounded like they were speaking Portuguese. They looked like they were Brazilian. And so I got excited. I'm like, this is my chance to to practice my newfound language skills. And I kind of shyly introduced myself. Oi, sou Jonathan, tudo bem? And they started speaking in Portuguese. And I was like... I have no idea what they're saying. <laughs> I'm going to fail my classes. And it was, it, was, it, was a, it was a moment. It all worked out. But I was just confronted with this reality that despite my preparation, I, I hadn't yet undergone the formation, the transformation needed to navigate this new land, to navigate this uh, new territory with a new language. And so I think this is a, a similar challenge and opportunity that Ash Wednesday invites us to recognize that our lives, our habits, our imaginations just aren't quite ready to follow Jesus into the wilderness of his life and his death, which we need if we're going to journey with him into his resurrection. And so this evening, I want to invite us into just a few movements that I hope will help us prepare for this journey. The first movement is remembering, remembering the deep meaning of our mortality and our need for God's life. And the second is releasing, releasing of the ways in which we've rebelled against our need for God and uh, trying to control our own lives. And then finally, we arrive to uh, receiving, uh, a way of posturing our lives so that we can receive the mercy of God and become people who follow Jesus by reflecting God's mercy. And I know that all of us here on a variety of spiritual um, places in our journey, some of us may feel like we've never felt closer to God. And others may feel like God feels really far away, like it's been a long time since you've experienced uh, an encounter with God. You're wondering, does he exist? Does he care about you? And so this talking about journeying with Jesus, discipleship may ring hollow, may just not resonate. And so I want to just affirm that that's where you're at. You're not alone here. And so my hope is that no matter where we are in our relationship with God, that in some way God will meet us and speak to us right where we are. And so my hope is that we are open to what God may have in store for us this evening. And so as we continue, would you just join me in prayer? God, thank you for uh, the gift of your church, the the gift of gathering together as your people. And as your people, may you just help us to step into the mystery of Ash Wednesday. Soften our hearts, open our eyes and our hearts so that we can hear what you have to say to us and just give us the, the ability, the capacity to respond faithfully. In your son's name we pray, amen. So let's begin by reflecting, what does it mean to remember that we are dust and to dust that we will return, which is uh, a common expression that we hear on Ash Wednesday that uh, is found in Genesis. 
And so I admit, I kind of struggle with this idea of connecting dust with a humanity. I associate dust with that thin layer of filth that accumulates on my bookshelf after I haven't been taking care of it. And so it's like, I'm trying to imagine myself playing like, mm, I, that, that's not my theology of humanity. I want something richer. And so my hope is that to, to suggest that maybe a more careful reading and a, more, a different translation of Genesis 2-7 can offer a richer and maybe more accurate understanding of what it means to remember that we are dust. So many translations, uh, of English translations of Genesis 2-7, including the one that Eric read, they translate the Hebrew word um, apar as dust. I don't think we should get rid of this translation. I think it still be helpful, but I want to offer maybe something different that maybe gives us a better understanding of what this means. And so the common English Bible translate apar as topsoil. And so Genesis 2-7 reads, The Lord God formed the human from the topsoil of the fertile land and blew life's breath into his nostrils. The human came to life. So if we understand God forming us from the topsoil of the fertile land, what does it mean for us to like embrace this, to engage with its truth this Ash Wednesday? What does it mean to, to remember that we're not dust in the sense that we are filthy, but we are dust in the sense that we come from the earth? Well, first, we remember that in a spiritual way, biologically and ecologically, we belong to God's earth. Anytime we, we get tired or we're hungry or we're thirsty or conversely, when we eat, we drink, we play, we are reminded of our dustiness. We are reminded of the fragility of, its, of our bodies, but also of its rich potential. Walter, uh, Walter Brueggemann, who's an Old Testament scholar, he writes that our human vulnerability is not a punishment of sin, but rather it's how God intended humans to relate with himself and to his creation. And second, remembering that we are dust, or maybe more accurately, topsoil, reminds us that we are dependent on God's mercy and generosity. Soil by itself remains lifeless until God breathes his breath into it and forms a human being, a living creature. And so Ash Wednesday invites us to remember that we are creatures and God is the creator. And so remembering that we are dust is, is humbling, but it's not demeaning, it's not degrading. Our vulnerability and dependency as creatures is not a source of our shame, but rather it's what it means to be human. So when life makes us feel weak and needy, Ash Wednesday reminds us that we don't have to be ashamed, but instead we can hold on to God's intent to live in between the tension between our weakness and God's strength. And so this is what it means to remember that we are dust. And yet the narrative in Genesis 2 and 3 reminds us that from the beginning, humans have forgotten this truth. We have forgotten and rebelled against our limitations, our dependency on God, and we've tried to hold on to a different way of life a relationship in which we are the masters of our own lives instead of its servants. And so this is what happened in the garden. Rather than trusting God's wisdom, the first humans disobeyed and instead tried to live life on their own terms, forgetting they were creatures, forgetting they were dependent on the creator. And all of us suffer from this collective suffering. Instead of holding on to the truth of who we are, how we were formed, and who, to whom we belong, We've held on to the lie that as long as we're strong enough, determined enough, just smart enough, we can control our lives and live on our own terms. And this kind of forgetting has led to so much of the selfishness, the greed, the violence, the cruelty we see in ourselves, in our world, whether it's in our workaholic and rushed lifestyle, our addiction to consumerism, more broadly, the exploitation, degradation of God's earth, our complicity in war and poverty, all of it reflects this tragic reality. We have forgotten that we are dust utterly dependent on our creator. And so Ash Wednesday is an opportunity for us to remember that we are dust and the theological significance of our dustiness and the ways in which we have tried to ignore or rebel against it. 
And so after remembering, we're ready to repent, which is an important theme in Ash Wednesday, and it's often described as turning away or changing our hearts and minds. But this evening, I want to suggest that maybe the image and posture of release can help us understand what it may look like to repent. And so when we remember that we come from dust and to dust or soil, we will return. We are reminded of the ways in which we have tried to hold on and control our lives apart from God. It's as if all our hopes, our expectations, our longings are in our hands and we just can't let go. We're holding on to them with tightly clenched fists. We're trying to resist the limitations of our humanity and our need for God and just hold on to our life doing, our, doing things our own way. But if we're to become people who follow Jesus, we need to open our hands and let go of this illusion of control, letting go of this lie that only burdens us and forces us to carry a weight that we were never meant to carry. And so God knew that the humans he created against him had rebelled, and yet in his love, he sent his son Jesus to rescue them or, and to rescue us. On the cross, Jesus defeated the, sin, the powers of sin and death so that we could become the humans God always intended us to be. He sent us his spirit, his empowering presence to dwell within us, to give us the capacity, the strength to let go of our stubborn insistence of control. And so Jesus embodied this posture of release. During the night before his arrest, Jesus was, he withdrew and he was praying to God the Father and just praying, God, if your will, take this cup of suffering from me. And Jesus fully God, yet fully human, he didn't want to die. He didn't want to suffer. But in his total commitment to God the Father, he still manages to pray, however, not my will, but your will be done. And so one of the important ways of following Jesus is learning to confess and release what isn't ours to hold or control. I remember a couple summers ago, I was doing uh, this ancient path trip, which is uh, a ministry here at Bethany. And we hiked up, me and my group, we hiked up to Kendall Lakes and we spent a day outdoors in silence and solitude, praying and fasting and as I was exploring the wooded area, I found this tree just fo- that fell over, and I was walking along it, just pacing it, reflecting on my life, reflecting on transitions taking place. And I kind of got into problem-solving mode, and I was getting into that m- way of living where I'm like, okay, I'm just going to think my way through all these problems. Perhaps you may relate that only if we're just smart enough, like all our problems will somehow like sort themselves out. And so I was doing that for quite a while, and I was like, oh, I'm making some progress maybe. But then I just got overwhelmed. And the sense of being overwhelmed, like just, I think it, it invited me to adopt a different posture. It was as if God was inviting me to literally open my hands. And that's, that's what I did. And as I'm like walking back and forth over this log with my open hands, to me, it symbolized this, this confession, this recognition that, God, I cannot live this way anymore. I can't keep trying to think my way through life. And so help me to let go of that way of living. I didn't pray for release because I was so spiritually mature. I prayed for release because I was confronted with my weakness, the limitations of my wisdom, with my humanity, with my dustiness. And so our own practice of release takes a variety of shapes depending on our context, our situations. For some, it may mean releasing our bitterness, our resentment, others letting go of unhealthy habits that harm our relationship with God and others. It's not a one-time practice. It's something we need daily, but whatever form it takes, the purpose of release remains the same, to become people who are able to let go of our control and to open our hands to receive God's life and mercy. So the movements of remembering and releasing are helpful in and of themselves, but they're not enough. To prepare the journey with Jesus, we also need a third and final movement, receiving. And so by receiving, I mean that after remembering and releasing, we open our hands so that we can receive the fullness of God's life. 
And this practice of receiving is deeply relational. It's important to remember it's not formulaic, not transactional. It's not like God's far away and he set up these ATM machines in our neighborhood and we go regularly, make some withdrawals of mercy and then we go about our days. Like that's not the kind of God we serve. That's not the kind of God we worship. I love how Psalm 103 describes God's character, his merciful character. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, very patient and full of faithful love. God won't always play the judge. He won't be angry forever. He doesn't deal with us according to our sin or repay us according to our wrongdoing because as high as heaven is above the earth, that's how large God's faithful love is for those who honor him. As far as east is from west, that's how far God has removed our sin from us. Like a parent feels compassion for their children, that's how the Lord feels compassion for those who honor him. Because God knows how we're made. God remembers we're just dust. God knows that we're dust. He knows that we are weak. He knows that we've sinned against him. And yet he shows us compassion. Yet he shows us mercy. He shows us his faithful love. One of the ministries uh, I get to be a part of here at Bethany that I just really love being a part of is uh, called The Guest House, which you may be familiar with. A ministry in which we host asylum seekers who cross the border, who are asking for asylum um, because of uh, persecution or other serious uh, danger. And so they're sent to detention centers, and when they're released, they're usually um, uh, allowed to buy a ticket or they, a plane ticket where they stay with a friend or family while they await their court date. And so our job is just to host them in between their release and when they go fly over to um, where they need to go. And so this ministry started in July, and way back in August, myself and Bernie, one of our faithful volunteers, uh, we were in the chapel basement ready to receive four guests, and we were excited, we had dinner ready, and I was ready to kind of give my uh, introduction, give a bit of an orientation. And so the guests are coming down, uh, down the stairs, and I see one who, who looks like he spoke Spanish, and I, give him, I try to give him the spiel. I let him know, hey, this is our Wi-Fi, here the bathrooms are, here's dinner, and he very politely interrupts me, and he says, oh, hold on. I need to go first pray to my God. And I was like, oh, yeah, sure, yeah, please. And I just kind of stepped back, and he goes and he walks, and he, he kneels next, side, next to one of the beds. He kneels, he bows his head, and he just starts to pray out loud and also um, silently. And the other three guests are watching him, and without saying a word, they do the same. They kneel, they bow, some have their hands together, some in their face, some out, but all of them are praying in some way. And so Bernie and I, we're just watching and we're just like just bearing witness to, to the weightiness of the moment, to the holiness. And so as I reflected on that moment, I felt convicted, I felt challenged because I was ready to be a good host. I was ready to offer what my guests, I thought they needed. But as I'm watching these men pray, these four men who experienced danger and fear far beyond that I could imagine, uh, I feel humbled Because in my rush to try to be hospitable, uh, these guests slowed me down and bore witness to a hospitable God. I need to go give thanks to my God. This is what Wilmer told me, who who is the, the, the guest who spoke to me first. As an asylum seeker who experienced great suffering, escaping from Venezuela during his incarceration in the detention center, he was acutely aware of his mortality, the fragility of life, the limitations of his power. In short, he knew that he was a dusty creature. But in his words, in his, power, in his posture and prayer, he demonstrated an acknowledgement that his God had not abandoned him, that his life and safety were gifts from God that deserved his gratitude. And so in the midst of his suffering and trauma, he experienced God's compassion, patience, mercy, faithful love. What else could he do but interrupt my hurriedness and first go give thanks to his God? So Wilmer encountered the God in that, that we, just, we read about in Psalms 103, a God who knows that we are dust, who knows that we have sinned against him and yet loves us anyway. 
And so Ash Wednesday invites us to humble ourselves with open hands to receive mercy from this kind of God. But receiving God's mercy can be difficult for all sorts of reasons. I know that in my life of relative security and privilege, especially in comparison to people like Wilmer, it can be hard to like recognize, oh, I need God's mercy. And so this is why Lent offers us these practices like fasting, giving, and prayer to help us become people who are aware of our need for God's mercy and are able to posture ourselves to receive it. And so Pastor Richard often describes spiritual formation as soil care. And given that our translation that we looked at in Genesis 2-7 describes uh, our human, humanity as soil, I think this analogy is particularly helpful. The idea of spiritual soil care is not that we transform ourselves, we don't give ourselves life. Rather, that's God's job. Our job is, to, is instead to nurture the soil of our souls, our entire beings, so that the life of Christ that God has gifted us can flourish. God formed us from the topsoil of the earth, breathed his life so that we may live, and we respond faithfully by taking care of our soil. Practices um, during Lent are not ways in which we earn God's love, but they are ways in which we create the conditions in which God's love can take root in our lives and bear fruit. And so each of the practices I mentioned, they deserve their own sermon. We actually did um, a sermon series called Sustainable Faith a few years ago. You can look that up and, and learn more. But I just want to suggest today that thinking about these uh, practices through the lens of remembering, releasing, and receiving may help us connect these practices with our transformation in, with, and for Jesus. So let's start with giving. When we remember, when we give, we remember that what we own is not ours, but ultimately belongs to our creator. We are confronted by our greed and selfishness. I know I am, like when I give even a tiny bit more than I normally do, like, wow, I am, I'm pretty greedy. Like, I don't know if you guys ever feel that way, but it can be hard. In our giving, we literally release our desire to control our possessions and we trust in God's generosity. And when we give, we don't do so out of some kind of prosperity gospel logic in which I give X amount and God will miraculously deposit 10 times in my bank account. Like that's just not how it works. Rather, we open our hands and give so that rather than trusting on our own wealth, we learn to receive the wealth of God's mercy, forming us into people who are of mercy, who reflect God's mercy. So giving then becomes part of how we prepare to journey with Jesus, our generous Savior. And so what about fasting? When, when we fast, especially when we fast from food, our bodies remind us of our dustiness, our weakness, our dependence on God and his creation that sustains us. Fasting humbles us and helps us release the illusion that we are self-sufficient. And fasting invites us to receive and feast on the life and nourishment of our God, who in his mercy gives us life. And fasting isn't just about our own relationship with God, but it's also about how God intends for us to live in relationship with one another. Recently, uh, the Pope and other Christian leaders around the world have encouraged uh, believers on Ash Wednesday to, to pray for Ukrainians. And so if you didn't fast today, that's okay. Um, I'd encourage you, though, sometime during Lent to, to fast in this way as, as a reminder of the hunger, the suffering, the mortality of the people in Ukraine and people all over the world who are also suffering, including here in Seattle. And we fast in this way. We invite God to have mercy on those who suffer and to form us into merciful people. And so in this way, fasting also becomes how we prepare to journey with Jesus, who both fasted and fed the hungry. And finally, prayer. There are many different kinds of prayers. I don't want to suggest there's only one way that we can pray for Lent. But I think that Lent invites us to pray in an intentional way, a way that helps us posture our lives so we can prepare to follow Jesus. So I want us to right now, 
together practice this kind of prayer following the three movements that I've mentioned. And I just want to note that um, I've been in conditions where it can feel really uncomfortable for people to like pressure me to do things in the worship context that I'm not ready for. So this truly is an invitation. If you feel ready, if you feel willing, please join. So we start with remembering. And I want us to hold our hands, if you're willing, like this. I want us to take a moment to remember, reflect, what does it mean that we are dust or maybe more accurately topsoil? How are you aware of your mortality, your dependency on God's life and creation? And as a focusing prayer, you can pray, God, I remember that I am dust. Oh Lord, have mercy, hear our prayer. Now I want us to close our hands and consider the ways in which we've tried to live our lives outside of the mercy of God. How we've tried to control what isn't ours to control. What do we need to give up this Lent season? Confess those things before God. And when you're ready, I want you to open up your hands, symbolizing your repentance and letting go, or at least your desire to let go of control. Remember, God meets us where we're at. And as a focusing prayer, you can pray, God, I release my control. Oh Lord, have mercy, hear our prayer. With your hands still open as a posture of receptivity, I want you to invite God to gift you with his mercy and love, to ask for his spirit and life to empower you to live with integrity and wholeness. As a focusing prayer, you can pray, God, I receive your mercy. Oh Lord, have mercy, hear our prayer. And now together and out loud, we can pray these words from Hebrews 4, 15 through 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So now we're going to transition into what we call the imposition of the ashes. Imposition may feel like an aggressive word, but don't worry. We're just basically going to um, invite you all to come forward as you're willing. And Bethany pastors will be here up front at the various stations. And um, they will just mark you gently with um, dust. You can choose to be marked on your forehead or on your hand and just indicate what you prefer. And again, maybe you can think of the ashes symbolic of the three movements we talked about symbolizing the remembrance of our dustiness, our mortality. And because dust is also associated with with grief and repentance, they also symbolize a posture of releasing our sins. And finally, they represent a hope that in Jesus, our crucified and risen king, death and sin do not have the final word. We may be dust, and to dust we will return, but in Jesus we also have life abundant and eternal. So it seems like the worship team is already up. They will lead us into um, a response in worship. And as they sing, you can come up moving counterclockwise to receive the imposition of the ashes. As we close, um, would you now just pray with me? Thank you, God, that you meet us in our weakness and our suffering and our doubt, and you invite us into relationship. May we learn to release anything that keeps us from right relationship with you and with others. May we worship you now as the God who formed us out of the dust, gave us life, rescued us from sin, and gifted us with your life eternal. 
May our worship prepare us to more faithfully follow you this Lent season. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.